Well, we're continuing in our series on Elisha. Now we're coming to the miracle I know you've all been waiting for, the swimming axe head. (laughs) Sometimes I was, when I was thinking about this series, I was thinking about, oh, there's a lot of good things on some of these miracles. I say, oh, the swimming axe head, what am I going to say about that? I don't know, but the Lord's good. He brings out little little things that I hope will speak to our hearts. But uh, at this time in Israel, it was, or at least for the prophets, we can say, it was a time of prosperity. It was a time where the, the school of the prophets was growing, and and the place they had was too small. They needed a bigger place. That's not a bad problem to have, right, of, of all the problems you could have. but And so there was some work to, to be done, but there was an excitement, you could imagine, right, of, well, let's build, let's grow. Um. Now, something I've tried to do in this series is to bring out the application. How does this apply, you know, both to our lives, but even to the church in the last days? And, you know, the question is, how does true growth take place, right? We know there's growth, right? People can get together and grow, right? But then there's true growth where it's birth of the Spirit, where there's eternal fruit, that the kingdom of God is built. And and so we can ask ourselves that. How can we have true growth? What did the prophets say? They said, well, we need to build. Let's go to Jordan. Let's go to Jordan. And so true growth and increase, or you could say new life, comes from going to the Jordan, which in the scriptures represents the crucified life picking up our cross and following Jesus. And so there's the thought we have, we can have a measure of life and strength in following God that we found in Christ, but to go on and to bear abundant fruit and have that abundant life that Jesus has promised us to know him in a deep and full way, we have to pick up our our axe or, or our cross and go to Jordan and allow that work to be done in us and there's many things we could bring out about the Jordan. We could spend the whole message on that. But there's one thing I wanted to just focus on this morning, and it's something that Jesus said in John 15. And we know John 15 is all about the vine. right? But John 15, verses 1 and 2, he says, I'm the true vine. My father is the husbandman, is the vine dresser, is the ESV. Uh, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit... Right? He prunes it. He comes around and he snips those things that it may bear more fruit, that it would be more fruitful, that it would increase. And so here's a picture of a vine. It's got some fruit, but the, the vine dresser, the husbandman, he looks at that and says, you know, I can, I can work with this so that it'll bear more fruit. And he comes around and he has his little ways of snipping and we all remember that story Pastor Bailey shared when he was a pastor up in Washington, and he walked with someone in his congregation who was a grew apple trees, and Pastor Bailey was walking with him, and every once in a while he'd go on and break off a branch. And after a while, Pastor, why are you breaking the branches on your trees? Are you hurting them? He's like, no, I'm breaking off those branches that aren't going to bear fruit. I know what they look like. They're just going to suck the life away from the fruit. So if I pluck them off, more life goes to the fruit. But, you know, that is true in our lives as well. 
Sometimes God walks through and he just, bloop, and he's like, oh, Lord, what was that about? <laughs> well, so we have certain seasons where God comes and he says, I want you to bear more fruit. And we say, yes, Lord, amen, I, I like fruit. But then he gets out the, the clippers and we say, well, wait, wait a minute, Lord, what's going on? But, you know, there's seasons in our life that we go through or times or situations where God comes to the garden of my heart, garden of our hearts. And he says, look, if you want more fruit, I need to I need to take away some areas because they're stealing the life that would cause your fruit to increase. Sometimes we take that personally. Right. Have you ever jumped to the conclusion when God said no about something or he he's dressing an area? We kind of take it right to the extreme and said, oh, man, I'm never going to be able to do anything fun for the rest of my life or do it. You know, I've been there. <laughs> Lord, is it always going to be like this? Of course, his answer is no. But if we could see it through his eyes, he's come to give us abundant life. And so it doesn't make sense to us at the time. Lord, if you've come to give me abundant life, why are you taking it away? It's so that he can focus it and channel it to bear good fruit. See, there's fruit and then there's good fruit. I love it when I get my fruit home from the grocery store and I bite into an apple and it's good fruit. If it's just okay fruit, I wish I hadn't bought it, right? Who likes just okay fruit? Isn't that a commercial out there? They just, that's just okay, right? No one likes that. They want good fruit. And if we can see that through his eyes, we'd say, Lord, come on in. Cut all you want, because I want good fruit. Now, if we go back to our story with the prophets, there's a problem. Right? Because they gathered together. They had, a, you know, if you could say in our, our vernacular in the U.S., they had a good barn raising, right? They, they had, everyone got together in the community to build a new building, and they were going strong and all of a sudden, someone's cutting down a tree because they have to have those. They said, everyone gather a tree, a log, and go and build. And disaster happened. He borrowed the axe, and the axe head flew off into the water. And he couldn't work anymore. And, you know, this can kind of represent some opposition taking place. All right, Satan would love nothing better than to see our effort in building opposed, stopped, right? He doesn't want us to increase and no ax meant no cutting and no building. And it's interesting that the ax head disappears into the water. And we already talked about that, what that water represents, what it's supposed to do in our lives, right? The crucified life, baptism, being buried with Christ and raising up with him again. And it's if, as if the enemy is saying, look, those promises, that fruit that, that you want, it's buried and it's not coming back up. It's gone. But you know, God has a different perspective. He allows that to take place. We look at that, we see the, you know, it splop, <laughs> ripples. There it goes. I guess that's it. But you know, God allows that because that's his baptism. It has to go under the water. And then it comes up in newness of life. That's how he works in our lives. We, it's the symbol, 
right? In, in baptism, we go under the water. Hopefully we come back up, right? We're still there. But, you know, when he does it in our lives, he dr- brings things under the water. We submit to him and we come back up and something new has been done. And hopefully it's because something has stayed under that water and it's dead each time that he's working and doing something, right? God is able to resurrect. That's why he allows things to go under the water. He can resurrect. If we're willing to go under, if we'll submit to the baptism, if we'll identify with his death and the taking up of our cross and allow his shears to come and prune away the things that aren't supposed to be there or God doesn't want, that are not necessary, then God can work and he can bring us up out of the water made new. God asked a question of the prophet Jeremiah. And he said this in Jeremiah 32, 27. He said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? We have a song we like to sing about that, right? And it's a catchy tune. And right, There's nothing too hard for him. That's our reply. Yes, Lord, there's nothing too hard. But you know, the context of this verse is pretty interesting. It was about judgment. It was about Jerusalem being destroyed and wiped off. The temple being destroyed. And Jeremiah understood the context of this uh, verse and, or of what God was doing and talking about in the judgment. And God was about to put Jerusalem under the water. You know, speaking of the judgment of the Babylonians and the be defeated and so forth and Jeremiah was seeing this judgment, and it was perhaps he was wondering, is our story over? All right, is this it? Uh, I don't know if you can get too final, of, more final of our city being wiped out and us being taken into captivity and the temple being destroyed, and is that the final chapter? And then the Lord responds to him, is there anything too hard for me? And then later on in the chapter of Jeremiah 32 and verse 38, He talks about what's going to take place when God raises them up again. He says, they shall be my people and I will be their God and I'll give them one heart and one way and they'll be, they feel, they will fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I'll make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them, doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. That's God doing the impossible. That's the resurrection power of Christ working within us, within his people, taking a rebellious nation who had continually resisted the direction of God, putting them under the water and bringing them up. And then God's saying, they're going to be my people forever. And I'm going to give them one heart, a heart to fear me, to know me and to follow me. That should give us hope. Right, as we look at them, but you know, something resonates when sometimes when we can see that and God talking about, you know, their hearts and uh, then we look at our own hearts and when we're honest with ourselves, because that's what really matters, you know, we can look and be honest with ourselves. We recognize those rebellious little areas at times God's trying to get at. And it's discouraging when you see those areas and you see them again and again and you're praying and crying out and makes you think, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to change or if a change is going to take place in those. But God's response is, 
is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard? And we can definitely say that, well, if God can do that to Israel and their state and their rebellion and then make that declaration about them, then he can do that to us if we'll humble ourselves. And so I rejoice in that promise that there's nothing too hard for God. But I recognize the process too. Right? What has to take place? We have to go under the waters of Jordan, and there's some parts that are not coming back up again. And we have to be let go of those things. If we hold on to them, we're just, God's going to hold us under the water for a while until we decide to let go. If we don't let go, you know what happens when you stand under the water too long. And so the key is to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want your life. I need your life. Lord, would you take me down to the Jordan? Recognizing, Lord, I know what you're about to do, and I'm kind of, give me grace to go through it. But Lord, I want to go into the waters because I'm looking to where I can come up new. I'm willing to yield to the the season of pruning so that I can have good fruit. Thank God his purpose is never for us to remain in the water. It's always, he is looking, he is desiring to bring us up made new. And when we come up, we're primed and ready to bear fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that will remain as we continue with him. So back to that axe head in the water, right? It had fallen into the river and, you know, I'm, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the Jordan. It's not that big, but I think maybe it fell on a big, big section and, or maybe it was a time of the overflowing. And the, the guy who was cutting down looked at that and it's like, I don't think I'm getting that back. What are we going to do? And he cried out to the prophet, Elisha, what do we do? I borrowed that. I've got to pay him back. I got to get that back to him. Um, and so we can read in the story, the pro- what did the prophet use? He just picked up a stick and tossed it into the water. Now, that kind of made me scratch my head for a minute. I'm like, what do you say about that? He picked up a stick. I'm not sure what you can say about a stick. I mean, you could probably say it's wood. It represents humanity. But if, if you look at it in this way, if the prophet just picked up a stick off the ground to bring up that axe head, he could have used anything. I don't know if that's really the issue. It's that God can use any situation, any circumstance to work in us to bring new life. It doesn't have to be some great and marvelous situation that he brings us into. He can use anything to work in our hearts, to bring us under the water, to where we'll surrender to him, and then he can bring us up and we're made new. And it seems like that happens a few times as we follow him in a cycle. And so God wants to work in us. He wants to make us new. If we'll submit to that process, if we'll say, okay, Lord, we need to build. We need to expand. And so, Lord, bring us to Jordan and accomplish your work in us. We're going to look at one more miracle. And it's out of order in which it took place, but I think it, I did it because it fits good in the time we have remaining, a few minutes. And it has to do with uh, Elisha's declaration of a famine that was going to take place for seven years. And it also involves the lady we talked about earlier whose son 
was raised from the dead. And so Elisha comes to her and he says this in 2 Kings 8, verse 1. It says, Elisha spoke unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go, you and your household, sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land seven years. And so the woman arose and did, after the saying of the man of God, she went with her household into the land of the Philistines seven years. And it was interesting that it was this woman who had already met with God, who had already experienced the power of God, and she had been the one who cared for the prophet of God. Um, And it's almost as if she qualified to hear about what was going to take place, about and, and that God met with her. It's almost like God allowed a way of escape for her, and as as well as we'll see as a way to return again. And so when all the other people were being tested and tried in that seven-year famine, this woman and her household, they were preserved by the Lord. Right? They were cared for by the Philistines, which is their, the enemy of Israel. They were cared for. I couldn't help but think of the Church of Philadelphia and what it says about them. And in Revelation 3 and verse 10, and the Lord is speaking to this church. He says, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you from the hour of temptation that's going to come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And so this church had suffered. They had endured the tests, the trials, and they kept the faith. They held steady to the word of his patience. And because of that, they were qualified to be protected and preserved when all the world was being tried. And, you know, of course, that really speaks to us, right? As saints living in the time we're in, right? We know we're coming into a period when there's going to be some trials and tests on, the world, on all of the earth. And wouldn't it be nice to have a promise like that? Because you've been faithful to me. I'll, I'll protect you when everyone else is going through tribulation. I'll preserve you. Lord, I want that promise for the last days. I want to be like Israel, having a nice, comfy place with lights in their houses and protection over the households and animals while all of the rest of Egypt is going through it. But God says it's not just because we know him and call upon his name that we have that protection, but it's because we've kept the word of his patience. We've followed him. We've been faithful. We've held steady. But, you know, we can enter into that and we don't have the good news is we don't have to wait till the last days to experience that or enter into it. Right. We just need to keep the word of his patience, his direction, his wisdom and counsel for our lives, because, you know, we all have seasons that we pass through. Some of them are calm. Some of them are not so calm. Some of them are like rough seas. But the key is always to hold on his word well at least the last word he gave us sometimes it seems like a long way back and we're like lord i need a fresh word but it's the word of his patience and sometimes patience takes a long time to work within us to accomplish his work but it says jesus said in matthew 24 talking about the last days he said matthew 24 13 but it's he that endures to the end the same shall be saved or preserved, protected. 
And of course, as I mentioned, we don't have to wait till the last days to experience this. God can do this now as we hold on to him. And so this lady was hidden, but you know, there was a removal of normal life for a time as she was protected. She had to leave her lands, her family, and she probably felt quite alone in that experience. And it's amazing how God can orchestrate situations like this, where even though you're in the midst of people, right, you can be in the church and so forth, but he brings you into a situation where you feel very alone, you know, because no one is experiencing quite the same thing or walking quite on the same path. Sometimes you can feel like Abraham and Sarah because God is leading you in a, to be strangers in a strange land. It can feel that way. Others don't understand and so forth. But if we will endure and walk with God, he's doing a divine work. He's, me- he's making us one of his hidden ones, hidden in him. But as the story continues, it doesn't end with her being in that land. There's restoration. Because the lady came back, and, and it's really awesome how this restoration took place. It's, it's like God wanted to orchestrate it to show he is in charge the very day that he is appointed. There's restoration. Because all of these lady, all, this lady's land and the fam, land of her family was taken. While she was gone for seven years, they're going to say, oh, hey, she's gone. We're going to use this and plant and so forth. So other people had taken it over. But in the day she came into the courts of the king to petition him, can I have my land back? I don't know if she would have gotten a good answer if God hadn't orchestrated it. And so on that very day, Elisha's servant Gehazi is talking to the king, and, and the king says, eh, tell me some of the miracles. What are some of the neat miracles that took place? Or I want to remember them. And so he's sharing miracles, and then he shares the story of the widow who her son was raised back to life. And as he finishes that story, and look, O king, here she is. Really? This is her? Yes, and she's come to ask for her lands to be restored. Oh, of course. You can have your lands back. You see, God orchestrated that. As she hid in him, there was a restoration. And you know, that's our promise. That's our future the restoration of all, and more if we will follow him, if we'll hold steady and keep our eyes upon the promise and fulfill the word of his patience for our lives. You know, we talked in another message about keeping our eyes upon Jesus and let everything else grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And if we keep our eyes upon him, there's a protection while everyone else has been test, being tested. Well, it's not that we are exempted from the testing. It's just we, we go through it now in a controlled way, right? In a better way as we follow God. I'd much rather be tested personally than with everyone else in the world. It's not that we're exempt from everything, but we're protected and preserved. And so, as we follow God, there's a pathway that, where we can enter into that promise of being hidden in him and preserved. But not only that, but restoration of everything being restored at that day. 
And so these are quite remarkable stories when you, when you think about them because they illustrate what the church is going to experience in the last days, well, what he's calling the church to experience, and what he's calling each of us to experience now as we walk with him. There will be times of growth, production of eternal fruit, but it's going to happen as we go up to Jordan, right? As we let him work, as we submit to the work, allow him to come and prune and, and take away the things that are going to take away from our fruit so that we can have fruit that will be good fruit and it will remain for eternity and that we hold on to the words of his patience and be hidden in him for, well, a season or two. But it's so that we will be preserved and then restored to the fullness of his promises. And Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for your promises because they're true. Lord, thank you for the the truths that we see in these stories and that, Lord, you're speaking to us. Lord, we ask that you would just give us those eyes of faith to keep upon you and that, Lord, you would lead us. Lord, we, we understand that, Lord, in order to have that fruit, Lord, we have to go down into the waters of Jordan. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that. Lord, asking for grace to submit to it and that you would come and work, Lord. Do your work in our lives because, Lord, we desire to come out of the waters made new. Oh, Lord, do that, we pray. And, Lord, just give us hearts to, to hold on to you when, when your work is taking a long time. Oh, Lord, help us to be like the Philadelphia Church, Lord, that we would hold on and fulfill the word of your patience. Lord, that we could be preserved and protected in you and that you would fulfill all of your promises in us. And through us, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.